Kia ora, Aotearoa, and welcome to Generally Famous Stuff Podcast. I'm Simon Bridges, and every week I talk to a generally famous but always interesting guest about life, love, and what makes them tick. Today's guest is best known as Loretta West, an outrageous fortune, or maybe it's as a Power Ranger, I'm not sure. Kiwi actress <laughs> Antonia Preble, welcome! Thank you. I'd love it if I was best known for a Power Ranger. That what feels like pretty badass. I don't know, I just thought because... It's very international, but you've done a lot of international stuff. Yeah, and funnily enough, I've actually done three separate seasons of Power Rangers yeah. playing three separate characters. Um, look, I mean... I mean, big fan. That's why I put it in there. Were you? No. Oh. <laughs> I re- well, I remember when I was a kid, it was banned because it was too violent. Like everyone was starting to kung fu fight each other in the playground because of Power Rangers because that's how they fight. Right. And because it's based on a Japanese show, and so it was banned, so you couldn't watch it anywhere. But you were like, a, I, I did do a little bit of homework on this, and you were like a, a witch or something, or something. Yeah, kind of a- I was. So the first time I did it, I was playing sort of like the very vanilla love interest of, of one of the Power Rangers, and I was playing someone who was um, trying to save a tree. So it's important. It's very important. And then the second time I, which is I think is the one that you probably saw, I was a sorcerer's apprentice because each season they have a different kind of world of the show, and then and that particular world was like a Harry Potter kind of thing. So yes. lots of magic. And so yeah, I played a sorcerer's apprentice. And did you have to sort of um, speak like an American sorcerer's apprentice? Yes, it's all. And are you good American. at that? You must be to state the. Yeah, I actually do find accents pretty straightforward and. I think it's just luck, you know, like people have a good ear for them or not. There's many other things that I'm not so good at in that kind of realm. But, um, yeah, accents have always been straightforward. I've always loved them. When I was about eight, I entered as a very last-minute thing my school talent quest because my mum was like, you should enter something. And I was like, what do I do? And she's like, why don't you do your accent? So literally like on the afternoon of the talent quest, I put together this thing where I did all these different accents and I won the talent quest, Simon. I think it was the proudest moment of my life <laughs> still to date. The apex. <laughs> yeah, I always really say was. being here boy Rutherford College was the apex of my career. That's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. For me, no. mine was winning the talent quest because of my accents. Well, I don't believe it. it. Um, <laughs> but what do you think has been your biggest role to date? Is it? I mean, in New Zealand, I would suspect it's Loretta West, but do you think if you were randomly in, I don't know, Texas or... Somerset or somewhere, see something that they'd say, hey, that's... Yeah, um, good question. Yeah, in New Zealand, definitely outrageous fortune. When I was a teenager, for five years, I did a show called The Tribe, which we filmed in Wellington, and we've made 260 episodes of wow. the thing. An extraordinary number. And it did play here, but never did particularly well. It didn't find huge success here, but it really did overseas, particularly in Germany. And I'd say out of anything, that is the show that people still get in touch with me about, that I get the most messages about. And if I'm, I mean, I haven't been out of New Zealand for a long time now, but if I, you know, over that side of the world, but yeah, people would come up and comment about that one. Germany likes some, I remember being, I think it was transport ministers in Leipzig for a transport conference Eastern Europe and, and the, the only other thing I remember was there was like 24-7 Xena Warrior Princess. Interesting. They okay. were all about it. They couldn't get enough of it. Yeah. that's Yeah, interesting. Well, the tribe, it, it's, it's almost in a similar kind of universe to Xena. So it's yeah. set, it's funny, I mean, post-COVID. You've been on Xena too. No, I've never been on Xena. Oh, you're not a real Kiwi actress if you haven't been on. 
I know. I sort of missed that boat because I was in Wellington, I think, and that was. And you were probably about seven or something. Yeah, I, yeah, I maybe was. Yeah, I've been on Xena. Really? Yeah. What did you do? I think I've told the story in about eight podcasts, so like it's not even remotely. It's, it's new like, for me. It's new for me. Know, it's the second biggest achievement in my life after being <laughs> head boy of Rutherford. Um, I was on Xena. I was an Asian warrior running through a field with explosions and horses. I feel like I've got yeah. a lot of questions about a few well, things Well, the problem you just is journalists, there. when I was in politics, kept trying to find it and they could never find it. So it's now sort of in the realm of kind of mythology. But okay. it did happen, I'm sure of it. Maybe they added me up. And, and what's I, your cultural background? Your cultural Oh, Maori, background? but come on, okay. it's crossover sort yeah. of. You know, Wouldn't be allowed to do that now. That was no, clearly very much that's, time. That's right. Yeah. You'd be hauled over the cult. You'll probably get cancelled. Well, it limits you know, my career that. options in yeah. acting. I basically can't. You're exactly. Well, yeah, can't what, there's else. a word or words for that. Is it, What do we call that? That's like is Cultural it pro- appropriation. appropriation. Yeah. 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 Well, you, okay. You just, so you did you that. You just made me feel deeply distressed <laughs> and ashamed. Look. Well, after that, I'm there than Hercules, young Hercules. Was I, was a, I was a buffed up um, sort of shirtless fighter. You and Hercules Doing as well. staff work. How were you in both these shows? Were you interested in acting? Oh, because I lived in West Auckland and I needed some money. Right. So did you just apply to, to like be an extra? Oh, they just something? rounded up losers and put them in a bus <laughs> oh out on God. Rosebank Road oh at like 4am. <laughs> and the food was really good. And it was like perk coffee, which I don't think I'd ever seen before in New Zealand. Wow. So like super flash. <laughs> they, had, they had like um, tables like this just full of pastries and, yeah. Yeah. you know, Goodness. Yeah. I mean, it's very glamorous what you do. The snacks table is pretty amazing. I mean, I have to say, mo- that was an international production shot in New Zealand. So often the biggest difference, I think, in the international production shot here, all the local productions, is the snack table. Yeah. <laughs> and for most local productions, we don't have that. You might have a, like a trolley. Oh, which- New Zealand on air is giving you large. Yes, you've got millions of dollars rolling out of that bad boy. Well, how it translates into snacks is generally a trolley and you have right. a, like a, a one shelf of maybe some mixed nuts, one <laughs> shelf of things like some shapes and the snack and then a, and, a, and then some fruit. That's gen- And sometimes, if you're lucky, you might get a Tim Tam maybe on a Friday. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love it, Tim Tam. Yeah, um, they're probably my favourite. I feel like that's none of this is what this none of this is on my script, Antonia. <laughs> but it, I feel like that's sort of the insight people are looking for. So I'm glad we talked about that. Um, I probably asked you this, but let me ask it differently. Mm-hmm. What What are your fave roles? I mean, of the mm. things you've done, what would you say the ones you kind of liked? Yes, the best. Yeah, it's a really good question. I always feel particularly connected to the most recent role that mm. I've done, which I, I, you know, people could probably understand why, because you really, you have to kind of love your character, you yeah. know, like you, or you, you at least really, you really try to understand them as deeply as possible so you can align with them as, as authentically as you can for that process. And generally, the more you get to know someone, the more you like them. You know, I think Mm. we can see that as true in the world as it is in art. The most recent role I played was Steph in in Double Parked. So at the moment, I have a very strong closeness to her. But I think... Because you're a couple. In Double Parked? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I play Steph and Madeline Sami plays Nat and we're a couple and we both... uh, We're trying to have a baby, but trying to have one baby and then we both accidentally get pregnant at the same time. So mm. we're having, we have dual pregnancies and we will have dual babies, which, you know, has some consequences. But yeah, so I feel connected to her, but 
if I kind of take a step back from the proximity to that role, I think Loretta West and Rita West um, would be the two standouts because I played them for so long. You know, we did six seasons of Outrageous and over 100 episodes, six seasons of West Side, fewer episodes, but it was still spanning over a mm. six-year period. And, I mean, they were both gifts of roles in their so own way. So how many way. years in total? Twelve. Amazing, eh? I know. It's wild. Yeah, I can't quite believe it every time I think about it. You've, I mean, I don't want to say middle age because I don't know that you're even middle, but you've grown older. Sure have. I was 20 when I started. When I, in the first season of Outrageous, I was 20 playing a 15 year old. And then in the final season, I would have been 36 playing like a 65 year old. Right. No, she wasn't quite that old, but she was definitely like in her 50s. So, yeah, it spanned a lot of time. How do you look back on um, Outrageous Fortune and its prequel? I look back with a lot of love and gratitude, really. For Outrageous, it was the thing that moved my career forward so many steps. It was the first adult role I'd ever had. I mean, I was playing a child, but in a... um, in a, in a definitely grown-up TV show before that, because I, I started acting when I was 12 professionally, yeah. but all of those shows, like The Tribe I mentioned, they were for kids. So Outrageous was the first one that was actually geared at adults and that was successful in New Zealand. So it, it really moved my career forward a lot, and it was just really good. Like I, even looking back now, if I occasionally happen to see a scene or two, I think, oh, wow, we really were – onto something there and captured something somehow. Coming back sometime? Can you see it? Will it come back? I mean, I don't know. There's always whispers of it because it was so successful and the characters are still so beloved. So I have heard a couple of ideas over the years of how some of the characters might come back, but there's no firm plans at the moment. Yeah. Because I sort of feel like in everything, and particularly great shows, can come back. I'd like to see Succession back. Oh my gosh, same. I mean, that so was just good. like uh, amazing, wasn't so, it? Yeah, just the 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 best thing that maybe, I, I we, maybe we've the, ever seen. Yeah, yeah. That's modern yeah. day Shakespeare. I right totally there. agree. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just the the dialogue and the acting and the notes is absolutely. Yeah. It was just perfection um, every episode. An outrageous fortune. Yeah, it, it kind of was Shakespearean, actually. Yeah. yeah, it definitely had a sense of kind of of melodrama and the the huge Shakespearean kinds of emotions. And you know, I I put my dad in jail. You know, like yeah. that's pretty Shakespearean. And then a, a pet store was burnt down again, not directly by me, but perpetrated by you know Loretta organized the arson mm-hmm. and it accidentally got a pet store. You know, there was a lot well, of cultural appropriations no good anymore. I wouldn't have thought that's much good either. Do you know it's funny? When I read that episode, I that let so Loretta wanted Sparky to set her video shop on fire so she could get insurance money. And then there was a pet shop beside the video store that also went up in flames when he did this. And when I read that scene, I was like Oh God, I'm gonna be so hated. Like this is this is too much. This is like how you can't get much worse than like burning no. animals. But no, it was fine. <laughs> I didn't I didn't get any kind of negative feedback. And I think the wonderful thing about outrageous is it set itself up so clearly at the beginning of being a bit outrageous and pushing the boundaries. So people did expect pretty wild things to happen. Yeah. So 
I don't even think there were that many complaints to TV3 about what was going on, even though what was going on was so much more intense. Whereas like a friend of mine was on Shortland Street and got punched in the face because of something his character did, Mm. even though it was much less than burning down a pet store. So it is just everyone's perceptions and what they think is reasonable for those characters to be doing in that show. People can be so stupid, can't they? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Um, And you got to – I always think when I went to Oxford University, I got a degree and a wife. And you got a um, husband or is it partner? A fiancé. So Did I – I got some – Dan Musgrove, of course, who um, is an outrageous fortune – did I hear some rumour about wedding bells in the future or something? We've been, I mean, we've been engaged for five and a bit years. So, yeah, we definitely do want to do it at some point. Um, it's just, you know, what it's like when you have two little kids and yeah. a pandemic thrown in. So, yeah, we do we do definitely want to do it at some Our point. little children um, are the very definition of romance. <laughs> yeah. When um, you just think what, romance, what? you think... You think having children screaming at you and um, no, I find for Natalie and I it always works having the children around. I loved meeting Natalie the other night. Yes. We we were at an event um, together and I sat by your lovely wife. Which was kind of weird because I'd never seen you before. I know. Now it's like twice in one week. I know. Yeah, meant to Um, be. There's something in that. Um, Your wedding, were you going to, what, you're going to do some kind of clichéic kind of Fiji shoot for Women's Weekly where... Um, you know, it's you and four others. Don't, I mean, don't knock it. If yeah. they pay you, I would. I'm just. <laughs> I mean, look, I would say yes to Fiji, but I, I really struggle in the heat. You know, right. I, I just would be too sort of uncomfortable. So no, probably no Fiji. Probably <laughs> and, no Fiji. And the reason you struggle in the heat, I was going to get to this much later, is because you're royalty. <laughs> I was I like, mean, what is he going to say? Honest. The reason I struggle with is what? So I think we've got a possible scoop here. This was something we were chatting about. My wife, Natalie, was chatting about with you at the at the, <laughs> the, the, the awards sort of night thing we were at. Um, you have a relationship to Lady Diana Spencer. I know, I do, yeah. Run me through this. So growing up, my grandmother, whose uh, maiden name is Roche Kelly, she would tell us... That's, an, that's a film name, if ever I heard one. It is, isn't it? Roosh Kelly. Yeah, yeah. Um, she would would tell us that we were related to Princess Diana through her side. And we were like, oh, yeah, cool, but kind of didn't think much more of it. And then a few years ago, I did an episode of The DNA Detectives. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but it's when it's sort of like a... Yes. Um, who do you think you are? Type I didn't thing. even know we had a New Zealand version of that. Yeah, DNA detectives. Why they, I'd love to do that. Can someone? Uh, can we angle for that? That's like a cheap way to work out what's yeah, going on. What's in your it, past. What on earth? How did I get to be this? Yeah, so I did an episode of that. Who and, presented that? Um, it was Jam TV. They were the they were the producers. Right. Yeah, so that was about five years. Did I about five years? Must be like six years ago, actually. Right, maybe seven. Seven. God. Sorry, I keep the interrupting you time. and taking you off the main point. But no, you're fine. Um, so. Throughout that process, so they check your DNA, obviously, but actually the Diana thing, they just went back through a family tree and worked it out. And where we got the specific relationship. So she is my fourth cousin once removed. And I can't tell you tell you how, but that's what but the result through, is. Sorry, through your, your grandmother's yeah, side. Yeah, through my grandmother. And so she William and Harry. She or not a preble? No, Riddiford. Riddiford. Yeah. So the Riddiford, Roche like Kelly side. Yeah. 
And Sorry, ha- you told me that. That's and that you know what that means. You're related to the next king of England. Yeah, he's my fifth cousin. Quite possibly New Zealand. Yeah, they're my fifth cousins, William and Harry. I know, weird, eh? Crazy. Have you ever met them? No, I haven't. I thought when they Do you, if you because uh, I thought if you if you said that to them, they'd be like, whatever. I know. But then I'd be like, like, watch this TV show. Look, it's true. Yeah. Well, I I mean, how many fifth cousins do you think one would have? You know, like, is it thousands? Would I be in the 10,000s? Would it be 5,000? I don't know. You'd think they would have a lot. Like, you know, some people have small families. They don't. They don't. And their lineage is clearly very very public. And so you'd sort of know if you were. But I don't know. Would I be one of 10,000? I have no idea. Yeah. I'm flummoxed. I'm trying to think that through. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about basically being royal? <laughs> um, look, I think it's kind of a, a fun fact to share at a party when you're standing around a kitchen sink <laughs> and it happens to come up. But other than that, I have to say when I found out it didn't it didn't alter my perception of myself all too much. <laughs> uh for, so sorry, fourth cousin once Diana. Re- once removed. Once removed, which makes you fifth Yeah. You know, um so we've done the maths. We've just been on Wikipedia. Perfect. They know everything all the time, very accurately. Uh, yeah. HRH, Diana has 4,700 such cousins, but still. Okay. I'll take that. I mean, know, I mean I'm, I'm probably like at 98,000th removed or something. So, yeah. you know. Yeah, you'll be on of, there somewhere. Well, you know, yeah. somewhere in Yorkshire, there's, I've got some forebears. So. Yeah. I thought when um, uh, Harry and Megan came here a, f- a few years ago, I thought that would be quite fun to – Meet them. My father used to say that we were related to Lord Bridges in the United Kingdom. We checked it out and it's just a load of nonsense. Do you think he actually thought that or was just sort of... Well, he would say it. Yeah, yeah. If you say something a lot, you And there's nothing in it. So there you go. Sorry. Really sorry to hear that. Um, We kind of... We kind of got sidetracked because I, I just felt that it worked with Diana and I wanted to ask you about that and it, it was a real priority in our chat actually. <laughs> um, what did yeah. it take to be Loretta West? I mean, what's we already you've already given us a sense of you know you like you become quite emotionally involved with mm. the, the person. So does that mean you're um you know you were at home with Dan and you're kind of acting like Loretta to him or how does that? <laughs> well, Loretta was pre Dan. So right. I, uh, Dan and I got together when, when I was playing Rita, but yeah, Loretta was an interesting one actually, because, so the process of me getting that part, I actually auditioned for Pascal, her older sister first, right. which makes sense because Pascal's closer to my own age. I was 20 or maybe 19 when I auditioned and Pascal was 18, but I'm just, I did a terrible audition for Pascal. Like it was so bad. I left just feeling so embarrassed that I'd just done such bad audition. Mm. But they clearly saw something in me and so asked they, meaning the producers and casting directors of the show, and asked me to come back and audition for Loretta. And even though we are very different and, you know, this is a real kind of tomboy, kind of truant, quite sullen kind of character and, I, you know, that's that's not me, that's not really my personality, or my vibe, <laughs> but when I read the script for her, for the audition, she just kind of fell into me. And sometimes that happens, and a lot of the time it doesn't, and you have to do a lot more work to kind of find them. But I just, she just fell into me. There was some kind of synergy there. 
I knew how she walked, how she talked, how she held her face, which was all very different to, to, to how I walk and talk and kind of my facial expressions. But it's, it's just, it's just, I don't know what it is, if it's good luck or something else, but it was actually quite an easy process to find her. And then the other, when we got into the shooting, the scripts were so beautifully written that you just have a lot of uh, extra help and resource to find who she is. And then obviously the 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 costume, the baggy jeans, the track pants and oversized t-shirts and hoodies, no makeup whatsoever. So, you know, that always all helps as well. But yeah, fundamentally, yeah, for some reason that I can't even really explain, I just... I just got her it quite clicked. quickly. Yeah, it clicked. That's do a good you, way to put it. Do, how do you? Um, and I'm, you know, I ask this with a very high degree of ignorance. But <laughs> how do you describe yourself as an actor? What are you basically? What are you? A- yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't even know if I have a really kind of specific, concise answer. I, I guess I know what I'm not, and that's I'm not really a method actor. So a, a method actor is. Someone sort of who, De Niro and yeah, or Chino someone. Who, and, yeah, I mean, and and also there are different levels of method acting. So like often method acting is kind of put in the like it's Daniel Day Lewis, someone who like com- steps into a role and completely em- embodies it, and everyone has to like call him his character name on set, and he never breaks character. Mm. So that's I guess when I say I'm not a method actor, I'm talking about that kind of degree of of methodness where an actor um, doesn't kind of have any differentiation between themselves and their and their character whereas I yeah I, I to be honest don't even really know how that works I don't I don't know if I could kind of almost like trick myself into it's pretty intense yeah it is intense and I sort of I just yeah I don't actually really know how how it works so I'm someone who just, tries to I can think I guess I go quite a lot by feel I suppose like I want to know that like the, the character feels right in my in my body because often they do walk talk hold themselves differently and you, they kind of just have to mm. you have to get to know that and it has to really fit in and sit in you properly if they are separate from you to a point where you feel it feels real it feels honest and authentic mm. and true and you definitely know when it does and when it doesn't. And it's awful when it doesn't because you know it's like it, it's like it's the stone hitting the bottom, you know, like you're sort of up here and you might be trying to say the dialogue and it might sound a bit hollow or flat or some, there's come some kind of falsity in it. And it's because you just haven't quite found it yet. And it's a beautiful moment when suddenly it kind of drops in and you're like, oh, that's what that's what it is. You feel you're in the the, the 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 in the skin of it. Yes. Yeah, and sometimes that process is harder than others. But like, at like you know, Loretta was quite easy. Rita, I found a lot more difficult, a lot mm. more work. Steph, this character in Double Parked, when I read the character description, I have never read a character description that is more close to me, Antonio Preble, in my mm. life, and so I'm playing a ver- I'm not playing myself but mm. I'm playing as close to myself as I mm. ever have and Madeline Sami plays my my partner in it she's my really good friend in real life mm. and she's playing a character the closest to her that she's ever played mm. and we know each other in real life so it was this weird sort of fever dream <laughs> when it was two characters but kind of just us 
like some, I wore even a lot of my own clothes because mm. it was a low budget show and I just said, oh, look, I've got what we need for this. So I just, <laughs> I'd literally be wearing my own clothes and she'd be wearing clothes. Welcome that to New like Zealand, a, <laughs> eh? <laughs> so yeah, it's, um, I get, yeah, so that's really long winded. I see, yeah, I said, I and didn't I, have and a good I suppose answer. But, in, but and I suppose with, in, 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 on that New Zealand, I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, there's there's not many. Even if you're famous, you know, there's not uh, many Sam Neils who get to get a vineyard and so on. So you you have to be a generalist. Mm -hmm. You know, you have yeah. to take those various things that that come along. You do. Yep, that's right. There's not many people who are able to sustain a career just in acting, whether that be financially or literally just having enough to do in a day, in a week, yes. in a month. Because I, you know, I'm a huge believer in that having a reason to get out of bed and have having stuff on your agenda that day is just yeah, so important yeah. for our mental health. And as yeah. soon as you don't, things can sort of get very languishy and, and difficult. So there's lots of reasons why it is good to have other things going on as well as, as just acting. And I, I personally, it kind of suits my personality. I like having lots of different elements and kind of mm. different balls to juggle in the air. So as well as acting, I do quite a lot of voiceovers. I MC events. Yeah. I um, I have my own podcast. I I'm a marriage celebrant. I do a, a bit right. of that here and there. So um, yeah, it's it's a it's there's enough variation to keep me kind of interested and excited about what the next thing might be, and um, busy enough to feel like I'm I'm moving forward with some interesting things, even if the next acting job hasn't presented itself yet. Fantastic. Yeah, you um. You've told us already. You you know you were twelve. You were already you were acting, and and you know I'm sure you did a little theatre and various other um, dr dr dramatic work. Um, when did you sort of realise oh, this could be something? I could I could I can. This is going to happen. Yeah, it's a really good question. I for, so from my earliest memories, like literally from when I was like three, I've known that I wanted to be an actor, and I don't really know where that came from because I. I don't have any examples of – well, my, actually, my grandfather did sort of become an actor when he mm. retired. <laughs> so he he was um, an Anglican minister yeah. before that and then, yeah, became an actor. But that wasn't in, right in my sort of world when I was young. So I didn't really have anyone who'd done it before me, but I just loved it. And so it sounds weird, but even from a very young age, I knew I was going to do this. And that I was going to pursue it. Uh, and then, yeah, when I was 12, I got my first TV job. Before that, as you say, I just did a lot of theatre. Um, and then I was sort of on a bit of a roll for a few years. And I thought that getting a – I thought that acting – meant going to an audition and getting the job because I was from I was in a very small pool of child actors. So I had a lot of success with the auditions that I went for. And then when I was about 18, I stopped getting work. Like I was automatic I was all of a sudden in a pool of young adult actors. So there was a lot more competition. And for about a year and a half I just didn't get anything. And I remember it was a really tough time at that time. And I was like, which sounds dramatic now because I was only a teenager, but it meant a lot to me at the time. And I was like, is this it? Um, is this over? You know, was I a child actor and I'm not going to be able to continue to do this into my adult life? And that was really a really scary prospect because there was nothing that I'd ever else wanted to do. Um, but then a couple of, yeah, a couple of little things happened and then I got outrageous. So it was a huge kind of it was a continuation in some ways but also a turning point in others
If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts. Your granddad was, a, I think, quite a prominent clergyman. You know, you've got a top politician there in Richard Preble. You've got another, as an uncle, you've got another uncle who was a state services commissioner, which is, you know, at level the top job in the public service. Your dad was a, a, a QC and professor, um, mum an English teacher. Um, what does that mean in terms of your career? I mean, I suppose, yeah, I mean, you can analyse that whoever you like, but it, is it... I wonder, is acting a craft or is it quite cerebral? Mm. Uh, and, and, you know, because you've always got a very cerebral family. Yeah, um, yeah. And then I suppose the other psychoanalysis, having met, um, I can think of a few other actors whose, um, you know, family were, you know, prominent, successful professionals. One, another QC, for example. Um, is there something about, does it give you the security to go at it? Or what, what do you reckon? Yeah, it's a good question. Um I think, like there can, be, there's definitely elements of cerebralness. Is that a word? Cerebrality. <laughs> Cerebral. There's definitely a cerebral element. <laughs> I've been saying funnest for a while now, and I oh, don't think that's a word. But probably not. Yeah. Well, but it's what it I mean. Sounds good. It's well, you know, it's the funnest. Yeah. <laughs> I say the podcast is the funnest thing I do. Oh, that's so nice that it yeah. is. Yeah. It's really nice. Nice. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so there is a cerebral element to acting and and I really enjoy that element. Like I love the intellectual vigor and rigor of diving into a script and diving into a world and diving into a character and really trying to chunk down and see how they think and why they think it. But ultimately – it's an emotional thing. Like you, you, you can use your mind to kind of get to your emotions and your instincts, but that's where you kind of want to be playing when you're actually acting. Like you can use your mind and kind of use your brain, I should say, uh, and the sort of the prep, but then ultimately you want to kind of just be as open a instinctive vessel as you can be when you're doing it. Um, but yeah, in terms of how my family dynamic is connected to that, they so yeah I I mean I definitely have departed from the sort of route that most of that my brother and sister and then my they're both most, what lawyers or they've yeah, got law degrees they've got law degrees you started yeah I started a law you degree. dropped out I dropped out I did a year and I was like it's not for me so I cross credited it though didn't just drop out cross credit right, right, right. to sorry, my arts sorry. degree. I I I um got my BA in English literature after I started when I was um 17 and I graduated just before I was 30. <laughs> so it took Amazing. me a while. Oh, you were busy. <laughs> I was busy. What what are you but doing now? I'm actually having a bit of time off at the moment Fantastic. to just look after my kids. So I've I've got Freddie who is 4 and Gus who uh, is turning 2 in a couple of days and after Gus was born I took about a year off just to be with him and then I had a string of a few projects, which were great, but 
unfortunately, filming schedules are just not really conducive to family life. And I just got to the end of Double Parked, actually. That was the final one in that string and thought, I just I just want to be with them for a while. So I just sort of consciously took my foot off the gas. And yeah, so for the last few months, I've just been mainly going to playgrounds and motat with them. Interesting. <laughs> um, and little bits Doing that pieces. annoying sort of telephone one where you kind of ring each other on the line. Have you done that one? Or Yes, but I um, literally don't know any landline numbers when I get there. Yeah, and right. they always want to do it. And I'm like, what's a landline number? I don't, I don't know one. <laughs> so, Because uh, it has to be Auckland. The only landline right. number I know is my parents in Wellington. But it has to be Auckland. So, yeah, we're doing that. I mean, and I'm doing bits and pieces. Dan, my partner Dan and I, we're actually um, we're developing a couple of new TV projects, so that's been a great thing. So anything you can tell us about them, or would you, would you have to sort of um, I, make us sign non-disclosure agreements yeah, or something? God, I probably would. It's so annoying, isn't it? But hopefully, will they be good? Yeah, yeah. So they're 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 they're, they're shows. <laughs> yeah, two yeah. new shows, which yeah, it's been a really and great. Are you both in them? I'll be in it, and Dan will be writing it. Right. Yeah, and with another friend of ours as well. But all that stuff can be done when the kids are in bed. So, I suppose yeah. with children, I mean, just thinking about that, it, it must make it, um, you know, and it's, it's these sort of comments, be careful because they're very controversial, but um, does it make it harder to act? I mean, acting is, is, is this very self-absorbed, I don't want to say selfish, but, you know, you've got to be in, as you say, you know, even if you're not a method actor, you've got to be there in the mm. moment you're traveling, yeah. you know, when it's on and you're shooting that show, it's 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 all encompassing. Um, now with your two little ones, you've got more than simply yourself to consider. You can't just flit off. I mean, how mm. do you, is it that, is that how it is or? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it is. In some ways it makes things easier because looking after being with them, like literally just at the base of it, spending time with them is my most important value. It's a job. It's a job. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. It's a job and a job that I value. So that in a way makes decision making easier in some senses, like, you know, their well-being, what will be good for them is sort of the first thing. Like an example of that is about six weeks after Gus was born, I was offered this part in this film that was filming in Croatia and it would have been like the biggest thing that I'd ever done before. But I had to say no because mm. Gus was six weeks and we were in the middle of the pandemic and it would have just been a nightmare to mm. take him and a six-week-old and a two-year-old at that time through managed isolation. You know, like it was just – not going to happen. So I, I said no to it and felt actually totally fine about saying no because it was such a sort of a clear decision. So in some ways, having them as kind of like the central spoke of my life makes decision making easier. But yes, the day to day of managing a film schedule is more difficult. So like they would come, they come and visit me every single day when I'm yes. working because um, I, you know, I want to see them and the That's hours cool. are long, but it's, yeah, it's not easy and it's ultimately kind of not really in alignment with the the parent I want to be, which is one that's around with them, uh, mm. you know, most of the time, a lot of the time, all the time. <laughs> um, so the one, I guess, plus of it, which is what we were talking about before, it's it's not common to go from job to job to job to job to job and it is possible to take time off. So yeah. I'm sort of, you know, looking at it that there are these times of intensity, but 
hopefully made up for by the times where I'm just around yeah, all the time. Sure. Yeah. I mean, speaking of children, you you have had you've you've given birth on screen five times. Yeah. Is that a fetish? Uh, right. I know <laughs> what's going on, and I think it may even be six now because I almost double parked the sixth. Yeah, uh, maybe. Yeah, my six. Sense. I know, so weird. How do you act having a baby? Um. Well, the first time I had to do it, I was fourteen, so I literally had no idea. I just think I sort of screamed a lot, and then when I had to do it for outrageous, I was sent all these like videos of home births, which was um, you know, some viewing. Charming. <laughs> so that was, but <laughs> really be careful as a. Male talking about this, but I don't think I want to watch those. It was kind of beautiful and amazing. Yeah. It was, and very helpful and informative. And then, yeah, uh, and then subsequently uh, doing the double the double parked uh, birth was the first time that I'd, like, done anything, anything to do with birth and labor and pregnancy since actually going through it myself. So that was interesting. Yeah. And you have given birth to baby Jesus. I mean, that's that's significant. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's we'll true. leave that right there. Uh, <laughs> would you want your kids to be actors or lawyers or politicians or public servants or clergymen? What What do you? I think after the the yeah. the ride you have had being on all manner of films and shows and the rest of it in New Zealand and and abroad, I would want them to do whatever they wanted to do and whatever they were passionate about whatever felt meaningful for them, I would want them to do that. I mean, I feel very lucky that my parents never got in the way of me wanting to pursue this career, even though it was very different from anything that they knew. I wanted to do it, and so they supported me doing it. They didn't push me to do it, but they supported me. And I feel really, really grateful for that because I know – a lot of people had parents in the arts had parents who really tried to stop them going down that path, and you can understand why because it's really uncertain, and in many ways, it's a in inverted commas harder life because there's so much uncertainty, there's no financial stability. It's it's difficult being a someone going from job to job without kind of a clear linear progression. So I I get it why people say don't do that and try to push them in another direction. But I think what that does is then there's always this kind of cognitive dissonance inside that person who is in the arts' system because our parents are just so influential on us and we always hear their voices in our head. So there's always this, should I be doing this or not, which I think is is difficult to sit with and wrestle with all the time. So I feel really lucky that I don't have that and that I sort of enable, am able to pursue this career quite unencumbered of any emotional baggage that might come from my family. So I will, I, I, my values are the same. I want to, I want them to do whatever makes them happy. And I, it's funny, like I, from being a parent now, like seeing them as absolutely their own people, like Mm. they are so clearly themselves. I, I'm their parent, but that to me, it just seems so clear that my job as a parent is to help guide them to be them as opposed to put my stuff on them. Like it just seems so insane or absurd to think that they should think how I do or that they should try to make me proud or anything. Like it's got nothing to do with me. It's all about them. So I just want to do my best to 
to guide them to find what they want to do and then support them to do it. Sounds like a, a great philosophy. Um, what's the future ideally hold for you? What have you got on the bucket list? I, I'm not someone who has a bucket list in terms of like I'd love to play this particular role or any. I mean, I definitely have directors I'd love to work with like Greta Gerwig I think is amazing and Maggie Gyllenhaal I'd love to work with them as directors I a really big value for me in my life is learning I just want to feel like I'm always continually learning and growing and developing and and getting better at the things that are meaningful to me so I hope that I continue to work on as an actress on productions that challenge me that I find really interesting that I I get to work with people who inspire me on stories that are important and I would I would love that to have an international element because I think it's really exciting when you get to work overseas and you're exposed to so many different kinds of stories and so many different kinds of people so I, I would love for that to happen um in saying that, at the moment, it's a lot easier with little kids for things to be happening in Auckland, though. <laughs> mm, mm. But I want, yeah, I want to keep, I want to keep going at this. Like I, I feel like, in many ways, I haven't really got started. You know, absolutely you should. You're in your prime. Um, let's do a few quick fire here. Um, favorite movie? <sighs> oh, <laughs> quick fire. That's I find this. I really find this it's question quite stressful. Hard. Um, Let's say... Or just some ones you the like. The Pianist. Yeah, that's a great movie. Do you remember that one? Yeah, yeah you it's bet. it's really intense. And a pick oh, one. Like dancing. Oh, The Pianist. Not the oh, piano. The Pianist with... Um, Adrian Brody. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Sorry. But The Piano, also piano, very pianist. good. Piano, Pianist. Oh, very good. Um, what about sort of on the... Um, I was going to say TV, but you can go Netflix or Neon or whatever it is. What What are you been liking? I'd say Succession. Yeah. Is, yeah, it's my favourite. Uh, before I saw Succession, The West Wing was my favourite TV yeah. show along with Mad Men. Uh, and now I'd probably have a triumvirate of, yeah, The West Wing, yeah. Mad Men. My other favourite is, um, and I've got to butcher the name, what is it called? Having a senior moment. You know the one where they're in um, Hawaii and then they do the other season in Oh, Sicily. The White Lotus. That's fantastic. Very good as yeah, well. Yeah, I like that Very a lot. Great well. um, yeah. acting, drama, all of that. Um are you a reader? What are you, what are you currently reading? I know it's hard in between sort of, yeah. you know, Gus and it's so, so on doing yeah. all this stuff. But. I go, I I love reading. I actually think it's my favourite form of uh, engaging with something, you know, like even more than reading, watching a TV show or watching a film. I love reading, but um, I'm definitely in and out at the moment. I'm reading a book at the moment called The Witching Tide, and it's about uh, the witch trials. It's a, it's a um, hmm. fiction book, but set in... At that time, set in Salem time, which is yeah, and you have pretty. played a sorcerer's apprentice. Yeah, and I actually have played someone who w was hanged as a witch. Oh yes, as well, a Salem in, was in it? Salem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going to ask you the question we ask every guest um, in generally famous. We call this section general knowledge. If you could be somebody else for a day, who would you be? <sighs> wow, that's such a good question. Okay, well, the first person who came into my mind was Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> I love her so much, so much. And I just think she is the epitome of out of this world fantasticness. Have you ever seen her live? Yes, I have. I have, and it was a spiritual experience. Amazing. So, yeah, can I say Beyonce? <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, what's your most embarrassing moment? 
Anything spring to mind there? Um, well, the first thing that sprang to mind was when my pants fell down on stage. That oh, was, that's not good. That was pretty embarrassing. I was wearing these like old, this, this sort of, you know, old ye olde worldy skirt and it just, the, the buttons came off and it just fell fell down to my feet in front of, you know, crowded theatre full of people. That was quite bad. <laughs> if money were no object, what are the first three things you'd buy? Um, is it possible, could I like buy someone to like be my personal masseuse at home? Well, I was going like, to say that's called slavery, but yeah, but yeah, yeah you can, you know, I, I'm, I'm with you, a, a rub down at the start of the day and the yeah. end of the day. That's what I, that's what I would want. Yeah. Yes. If I had any kind of hired help, I think that's, that is who I would want. Yes. Personal masseuse. Um, what else? I like that. I'm, I'd have, I've got, I'm taking that into my top three. Okay. Yeah, 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 you, yeah. Take it, take yeah, it. I like that. Um, maybe one of those like really exotic cats. What are they called? Um, ones without hair? Or? No, not the ones without hair. Oh, they're sort of. They're not right. Yeah. Oh, sorry, anyway, <laughs> they're just not right. I can't even think what they're called. They're slight. They're not Bengal cats, are they? They're slightly. It was slightly bigger. You're looking at mancoon. Mancoon. I, I have a brother with a mancoon. Yeah. I mean, it's they're basically like, a. It's bigger than many dogs yeah, these days. Yeah, they, they, they seem quite fun They're not to much me. good for the bird life though, are they? Have you thought oh, about that? Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Okay, maybe I need to retract that. Um, well, what, I, don't, I don't want you cancelled after coming <laughs> on Generally Famous. Everything was going fine until I did this I mean, I know, I know that acting crowd would be a bit sort of, you know, you're a bit jittery about that kind of stuff. That's, that's right. There's a lot of crossover into bird watching <laughs> with, and yeah, and bird conservation with actors. Okay, scratch that. Okay, well, the second thing that just flew into my mind was like a playground that I could have like in my garden for Freddie and Fantastic. Gus. So we could all That's just... achievable. Yeah, yeah. What's Dan doing? <laughs> Come on, Dan. Write those scripts. For goodness sake. Oh, he would... Okay, maybe I should say, because this is what he wants. He wants a boat. He came from like a boating family. Right. I didn't. And he he really wants like a boat that he just says we can like... Then we could just like take it over to Waikiki. I'm like, when would we be doing this? But anyway, so yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chuck in a boat for him. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a nice thing to do. Yeah. Uh, which famous actor would play you in the movie of your life? Growing up, I looked a quite a, like I could even recognize it a lot, like the actress Thora Birch. She was um, in like Now and Then. Uh, she was quite, quite. Oh, and then when she grew up, she was in American Beauty. Um, oh, yes. Brown Hair Girl. She's not doing much lately. But growing up, we looked quite similar, so maybe her. Right, yeah. right. Um, I think this is a strange question, but it's the question that we ask. So for consistency, I'm going to ask you. Do it. What's the strangest tradition in your family? Strangest tradition. Oh, I don't well, the, Again, the first thing that came to my mind, but it's just not strange. <laughs> but we every year we sing the 12 days of Christmas on Christmas. But and like we break it. Well, oh, that's quite strange. Is it? Yeah, I think that's okay. a little bit strange. Does that strange. count? I can use it for this. Yeah. We break. We break up because we we all have like a big family Christmas at my parents' house in Wellington. Yeah. You generally about like twenty people there, so we yeah. break up into each of the days. It sounds like the sort of thing a cerebral Wellington family <laughs> with civil servants and lawyers would do. Yeah, my mum plays on a long and a ukulele. Of course she does. Of course she does. Of course She's she in a does. ukulele band. Of course she is. Um, and then we sing that and every year everyone gets it all wrong and we're like, we've been literally doing it. And it's very funny and we've been doing it for, you know, 
40 years or something. And I'm sorry, Mum, I think it's it. great. There's no issue. I like it. <laughs> it's I, great. I admire that you have a tradition like that. It is a little bit strange, though. It's one of our f- my favourite things about Christmas, I have to say. If you could choose to stop ageing at any age, which would you choose? Oh, my gosh, that's such an interesting question. It's really interesting weighing up vanity versus wisdom, Yeah, isn't it? That probably is the trade-off. Yeah, yeah, vanity versus wisdom. Um, is it? Do you know what I? I actually think around my age now, like where yeah. I'm probably approaching middle age, but not quite there. Yeah. Or maybe maybe like a couple of years from now, I feel like wisdom is ultimately more important. I, what I'd want to do is have maximum wisdom. But before, like, your body starts to get really sore yes. and cause you trouble. So I feel like... That varies from person to person. Early 40s? <laughs> Can I say sort of early 40s? Yeah. Because I, I don't think I'm there yet. I want more wisdom than I've got now. I mean, yeah. I'm still going to be buff well into my 50s, but... Well, when you started... Some people, you know... From Xena and Hercules. Correct. Then, you know... That's you've, right. You've got to keep that going on. No, that's right. Um yeah. Look, there's so much more to discuss. We haven't talked about your podcast. I wanted to. It's called What Matters Most with clinical psychologist Jackie McGuire, and it's a great podcast. But we've run out of time. It's been so good to talk to you. you I too. feel privileged talking to someone who is 4,700th remove from Lady Diana and um, and actually, you know, in a very distant way, uh, in line to the throne of the United <laughs> Kingdom uh, and New Zealand. And ultimately, that is the thing that matters the most above everything else yeah it matters it matters I mean you know there's Loretta there's all these other things but that's what matters you've been listening to Generally Famous the Stuff Podcast there's a new episode every Wednesday you can listen to them all at stuff.co.nz slash Generally Famous wherever you get your podcasts in fact if you follow us on Apple or Spotify any of the podcast apps in fact you'll get the latest episode automatically sounds good right Thanks to my producers, Chris Reed and Jen Black, and audio editor John Ropeha. I'm Simon Bridges. I really appreciate you listening. This pod took time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. Prepare for an unfiltered journey through the harsh realities of infertility. My name's Nadine Higgins. I'm a broadcaster, a journalist, and I've been trying to make a baby with my husband. That's me. I'm Dan. And we reckon infertility is lonely enough without making it a dirty little secret. In The Human Race with Dan and Nadine Higgins, we share raw and unvarnished stories of couples who have faced the brutal truth of infertility. Unless you've been in it, it's, it's really tough and really lonely. Yeah, and also, this is really weird, but baby showers, you don't need to open the presents in front of everyone. Confronting the harsh reality that not every story has a happy ending. This very blunt, abrasive doctor who I had, you know, had not seen before, who delivered the news, just like, you'll probably never have a natural period again and you'll probably never have a baby. The Human Race, where we share the untold stories of couples in the race of their lives to create a life. I feel like I nearly missed out and I got to do it. And so I feel really lucky. So it's been incredibly positive. Listen today at stuff.co.nz slash the human race or wherever you get your podcasts. The Human Race is proudly brought to you by Elevate.